just want to say welcome to everybody. If I haven't met you, my name's um, Matt. I'm the Bayville campus pastor here at New Beginnings. And um, I have a, a, well, I hope, I believe it's a good message that God put on my heart. But before I get into the message tonight and pray for it, just a quick announcement, two quick things, really. Um, first is, if you were here last month when we did the men's thing and we asked people if they could fill out the connect cards and you did that, you, you don't got to worry about it. But if this is the first time you're at a men's night, if you could just grab one of those connect cards and fill it out. I know you're like, I've been here, coming here for years. It's not like the weekend for a first-time guest, but if you could just fill it out and then at the end just hand it to, uh, I mean, you can hand it to me or Brian, um, because we're just building a roster of all the men that are coming to this, because especially next year, we're going to be doing a lot more things. And I'd say next year is weird, but we are really close to next year. Um, so um, we, when we do things, we'll have a great, easy way to contact. And our next thing coming up, we actually already know what it is. And it is going to be an amazing time. I believe it's really going to launch what we're going to be doing for guys in the future. And it's going to be, put it now on your calendars, it's going to be Saturday, January 22nd. And that might sound far, but it's really not. We're almost there. And who here was... Uh, here with Pastor Eddie Turner came, the guest speaker, and he talked about anxiety and all that. I mean, it was an absolute powerful, powerful word. Well, he's going to be coming here that day, and we're going to be having a one-day men's conference on that Saturday. So obviously, we'll be having more details in the upcoming months about that, but that's going to be Saturday, January 22nd with Pastor Eddie Turner. It's going to be an amazing day. It's going to be in the morning, obviously. It's going to be hours. It's going to be a couple sessions. So we'll be talking about that more in the upcoming months, but... um. Put that on your calendar, all right, guys? All right, let's pray here tonight. Father, I just thank you so much for this night. Thank you that we can come here together, Father. We can come as men, and iron sharpens iron. That's what you tell us in your word, Father, and that's what we're doing. And I thank you for the blessed fellowship time out there now. Thank you for your word, Father. Your word is so powerful, and as your word goes forth, Father, I thank you. It is your word that changes us. So, Father, I just pray that we just have open hearts to receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So tonight, I don't even know if there's a, gra- a graphic for it. My, wa- my wife was making it. I'll be honest. This is a message I've been working on. There we go. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. And it's really weird. I just, I feel so passionate about this message, but I didn't have a title for it. And I don't know why I didn't have a title for it. And then my wife says, she's like, do you have a title? And I'm like, I don't have a title. I said, you know what? Just call it what I'm going to be preaching on tonight. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. Real original. But it is a, such a powerful portion of scripture that we're going to be getting into. Now, you know, nights like this are so important, amen? We come together, we encourage each other in ways we, we really do. Because you might not even realize that during the fellowship time, and I know this has happened to me, you could be giving your testimony and encouraging somebody, giving them hope. Maybe they're going through something that you were come, went through or came out of. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you just need that. I just need to see other guys have a good time, talk about Jesus, joke around about sports a little bit, right? I mean, I'll tell all of you the 49ers are going to beat you. Probably not going to happen this year. But it's a great time to get together. And in a lot of ways, too, even when we come on a night like tonight, in some ways we're serving one another. Amen? And Jesus talked a lot about serving, And that's what I want to talk about tonight, focusing on what does it actually mean to serve and the importance of putting others above ourselves. And guys, I just want to say something. That is so important, making sure we are putting others above ourselves, especially in a time when it can be really easy when you see craziness going on and the only thing that can come to our mind is us. 
We need to make sure we're okay. But Jesus tells us to put others above ourselves. Jesus put others above himself. And the passage we're going to be studying tonight, it's a conversation that Jesus had with some of his disciples. But before we get into that, I, I do have a story to tell, and it's just kind of something that came on my heart um, as I was thinking about this message. Now, many of you may know here, and some of you may not, but I was the youth pastor here for about six years, and it was such an amazing time. I mean, I'm still very involved with the youth, but that's when I was extremely hands-on every single week. And when I first stepped into that position, it was nerve-wracking. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Number one, you're working with teenagers. Before I started coming here, and at that point I did, I guess, have experience because I was volunteering for a while before I did that. But prior to ever coming here and volunteering, I never had any experience with teenagers. The most experience I had before that, no joke, I did mall security for six months, and they were calling me Paul Blart. That's the only <laughs> experience I had with teenagers up until I came here and started volunteering. It's a true story. We had, like, the Segway things, and during mall hours, you, you had to leave it on turtle mode which means it was like three miles an hour. So you'd be going by, and they forced us to wear a helmet, and literally, teenagers were calling me Paul Blart, and I remember thinking to myself, I hate them. They're no good. And then I ended up working with teenagers for so long. Now, that was before I was saved, so I didn't really have a heart for teenagers at that time. Um, but when I first started in that position, it was nerve-wracking for a couple of reasons. One was, again, this is my first time working with teenagers now to that extent and now overseeing the ministry. And the other part was now that was the first time that I was ever in a position, so to say, where I had a team and a team that was under me now, a team that would look to me. And I had a lot of learning experiences, especially the first couple of years with that, just as all of us when we step into something new. It's a learning experience, right? Sometimes that learning experience never stops. And something I learned very quickly with the team that I had was, and at that time, we didn't have the full youth room, so we were in the food pantry, and then we were a little bit in one room and in the food pantry, so we had a lot of setup and breakdown. And at that time, I'm being honest, it was a little nerve-wracking, because I'm like, okay, now I'm running setup, I'm running breakdown, I got to tell them what to do. And one thing I learned was, when we would get new people on the team, or even the team, if I would go, hey, let's go set up, and I would work with them doing that to show them how to do it, or hey, we got to clean this, and I would clean with them and show them how to do it, there was like a bonding there, because I wasn't just telling them to do it, I was also serving my team, which, in retrospect, made them want to serve even more, because they knew we were all in this together, and many of us have opportunities to do that every day, at our houses, at your job, at church, in, in your communities, wherever it may be. But it could be so easy, and we could see it, because we can, it can happen if we're not careful. If we're not careful, and maybe we step into a new position, we could, without even realizing it, because the enemy loves to work this way, want to put ourselves on a pedestal, so to say. And to think, well, this is all about me. Well, I made it a certain way. Well, I'm good because look at the amount of money I have now or the things I have. And it could become easy. Now, you might go, well, I don't have that mindset. But if we don't guard ourselves, the enemy can get in to make you start to think life is all about you without even realizing it. Because you might not be thinking that, but your actions are saying that. And that's the dangerous part. You might not be thinking that. You might not be speaking it, but your actions could be showing that. That, especially if you look in our culture, that is what our culture is telling us in a lot of ways. You need power, money, fame. That's what's going to get you respect. Well, Jesus said something very different about that. 
our culture tells us success is that and what to go after and to make the world revolve around us, but that's not, that's not it. And if you look around the world around us, we live in a world where few people want to be servants, but yet that's what we're called to be. And if there are people who do serve sometimes, and I'm not talking about in this room, I'm talking about sometimes people that serve, and you might see other areas, or you might see at a job, and somebody's under their boss, so they start serving their boss, and it's not with the heart of, I'm going to serve this person, it's the heart of, I want to get here, I'm going to do this so I can get here, which that's not the right heart to have either. See, our calling as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you'll have a chance to receive Jesus. And if you are, we have a calling, each and every one of us. You know, sometimes with calling, and there's, there can be many callings, because first, we all have a calling. If you're a Christian, one of the callings we have is to preach the gospel to everybody. Now, God has an individual calling upon each and every one of our lives, which I believe, and maybe you know that, and maybe you don't know that yet. But we all do have also specific callings, because if you're a Christian, it's what the Word of God tells us. One of our callings is putting others above ourselves. Our calling is putting others above ourselves. And again, if you're not careful and you talk to certain people, that might not be the attitude they have, or that might not be what they tell you to do. They might tell you to put yourself above others. Well, once you're good, start thinking about other people. And that could be very tempting to do, but that is very contrary to what Jesus did. We're called to serve others. And the conversation I want to look at tonight is in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can just follow along on the screens. We're going to be going to Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. And we're going to be looking at this. And as you're getting there, I do want to give you a little bit of context. The passage that we're reading, it's a conversation of a mother and her two sons are having with Jesus. And these two guys are not just random people in the Bible. They were very close to Jesus. They were two of the 12 disciples. And just like sometimes, if we're not careful, it could be dangerous to put ourselves, we might put ourselves on a pedestal. In ways, these guys were doing that in this moment. See, they know that Jesus is about to die. He's been telling them that. And in some ways, they're trying to make sure that they're set up pretty well. And they wanted to see, and as Jesus, and we're going to get to if they could be at the left and the right side of Jesus in his kingdom, basically to be second in command. And I want to look at how that plays out. So let's pick up in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. It says, And the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, the disciples James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now let's just pause there. These guys really had to go get their mom involved into this. Right? You notice that? They had to go get their mom involved in this. Their mom's coming with James and John to Jesus to ask a favor of him. And it says, what is it you want, Jesus asked. He said, what is it you want? And she said, the mom said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. See, this request, it contradicts everything that they've seen in the life of Jesus, because Jesus has been showing a life of self-sacrifice. Number one, he was going to make the biggest sacrifice there is. He came to this world to give his life for us. And they're asking this request of, can we sit at your left? Can we sit at your right? And not just one of my sons, both of my sons. I want both of my sons to have good. At least she didn't pick favorites. So we could at least see that about the mom. She didn't pick favorites. So her mom and these two sons, they come to Jesus. 
And remember, those positions, what they're asking for, those are positions of honor, Jesus is left and right. These two disciples, they've been walking with Jesus. They were close to Jesus. They were part of his inner circle. And clearly, for whatever reason, they must have thought that of all the other disciples, they deserve to sit at the right and left in Jesus and be second command. And you know, it could be easy to judge them. Even maybe you're hearing this now. How could they do that? They were Jesus' disciples. How could they even try to put themselves in a position like that? How could they try to do that? Well, you know what? We could judge them all we want, but maybe we have done something like that in our lives before without even realizing it. Right? We might not even realize it, but we've, maybe we've done that. And see, this is the time when they do this. This is after Jesus predicted his death for the third time. So they spent plenty of time with Jesus, and they know what he's all about. And yet they are willing to come to Jesus with their mom, kneel down before him, and ask him for this to happen. And some of you might go, well, the mom, she's the one asking. Well, no, in the Gospel of Mark, it has the same account, but even the sons are asking in this. If you go into the Gospel of Mark, which I don't have this scripture up, but I was reading this um, part in the Gospel of Mark, too, a recording of this conversation, and James and John actually come to Jesus as Mark records it, and they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, they say to Jesus. No one, Jesus just slapped them. They just come up, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They're coming to Jesus and saying that. And Jesus actually replied in Mark. He said, what do you want from me to do for you? That's how Jesus replied. And then it goes on to, it records the same exact thing. They said, we want to sit at your left and your right, which really shows a heart issue for them in this moment. Because think about it. Jesus, they say, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus is saying, what is it you want me to do for you? Their answer was not something that would benefit or help somebody else. Their answer was something that would benefit and help them. That's important. And that's something, when I was writing this message, I was asking myself to make sure my heart was right, is if Jesus appeared before me and I had a chance to ask that question, he said, what is it you'd want me to do? What would my answer be? Would my answer be something that would give me personal gain or would my answer be something that would end up being being able to be a blessing or a help to others. And that's something, a good thing for us to always check and to always ask ourselves. I'm not going to tell you what my answer was. No, I'm just kidding. Because our reality is a lot of times it could be easy and we could focus on ourselves. And sometimes, again, we do that, and it's not malicious. It's not with a bad heart. It's sometimes we don't even know, and especially, I'm just going to be honest with you, and we see what's going on in the world right now. You turn on the news, and you see fear, and you see this. It could be very easy to only focus on ourselves and to make sure that we have what we need. It could be very easy to do that, and we need to. We need to make sure, obviously, we could take care of our families and stuff. That's not a bad thing, but we can't just be focusing on ourselves. We could get so caught up with the importance of what's going on in our lives that we forget what's truly important. And that's what we're here for, and that's to help others. Amen? We could get so focused on that. But I want to see what Jesus, how Jesus continues to respond when they ask him this. So they ask him this, and then we're going to pick up in verse 22. Jesus it says, you don't know what you're asking Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And I want to pause there for a second. Wait, go to verse 23, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, sorry. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. A note on verse 22, if we can go back to that. If we could just put that back up. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can the answer. And I was doing a study on this. See, for the Greek, the Greek word in the original language for that word cup is, I might not say it right, but it's poterian. Poterian. It's one of those. And it de- denotes primarily a drinking vessel. And in the Strong's Concordance, it talks about the cup. See, the cup was a common Jewish metaphor. And it was regularly, figuratively used to describe the undergoing or experience of something such as salvation, punishment, wrath, revelation, uh, sorry, wrath, shame, fury, abominations and filthiness, consolation, blessing, and astonishment and desolation. A lot. The phrase is frequently used in the New Testament for the sufferings of Christ. And Jesus applied this here to himself, for he was to voluntarily suffer drinking the cup of God's judgment for our sins. Jesus was going to take the wrath that we deserved. And James and John, so Jesus says to them, he says, you will indeed drink from my cup, because see, Jesus knew, and James and John, they would share in Jesus' sufferings even to the point of death, but not in a redemptive sense like Jesus did. James was the first apostle, I believe, to be martyred, and John endured many years of persecution and exile. And so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And I really love Jesus's response here because Jesus is saying them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't understand what you're asking when you're asking this. He's saying, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And honestly, Jesus could have been harsher with his words than that, right? He could, have been, he could have looked at them and said, who knows what he could have said. But think about it. These guys have been walking with him, seeing how he does life, seeing how he's putting others first. And now they come to him with this request. Jesus could have said many other things and responded in many other ways. He could have laid into them and taught, and taught them a message. Instead, he showed grace. He gave grace. And I love that about Jesus. And he simply told them they didn't understand what they were asking and got them to start thinking what they were truly asking for. Because Jesus is saying, you came here asking me if you could sit on my right and left in honor. And I'm asking you, if you could do that, can you drink this cup? Because you don't understand what you're asking for because I'm about to suffer for this world's sins and I'm about to die for people. Are you willing to do that? Because that's what you're really asking without even realizing it, Jesus is telling them. He asked them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? He could have said, Another question he could have just said, are you willing to endure the same suffering as me? He was pretty much saying, listen, I'm going to die a horrible death on this cross. I've told you this. And you guys want to sit next to me in the kingdom. But that's not the right question to ask because you need to ask yourself, are you truly willing to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others? Are you willing to die for me? And you know, Jesus, in a lot of ways, asks us that question. Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for others? Sacrifice, in a lot of ways, is something that we don't see, and our, our culture doesn't tell us to do much, but yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. It's not the most comfortable thing, but it's what he tells us to do. And in verse 24 now, in this conversation... To 28, verse 24 to 28, it says, when the 10 heard about this, because remember, there was 12 disciples. 
So there's 10 others besides these two. It says they were indignant with the two brothers. They were pretty angry at these two brothers. Probably looking at them like, who are these guys asking them about this, asking Jesus about this? So what did Jesus do? He sees this now because he knows there's probably a fight about to break out. And it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus just flat out lays it out to them right there in that moment. Jesus is saying, you see what's going on in the world. They're exercising their power. They're exercising their authority. It's going to be a little bit different in my kingdom. If you want to become great in my kingdom, it might not look like what it's to become great in the world. And he goes on to tell them, and Jesus, you know, Jesus, he models the service that he expects from his disciples. He literally says the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. He says, I'm the model. See, true greatness is measured in terms of service. True greatness is measured in terms of service. That's what Jesus is pointing out. He says, even myself, I came to this earth, and I'm going to die, but I also came not to be served, but to serve. And he said, and to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus himself, he provided the higher standard of serving, service, obviously, with his, with his atoning death. So our action step is to become a servant, to become a servant of Jesus. Amen. The other 10 disciples, we see they were furious when they found out, and rightfully so, and I can't blame them. I'd be probably pretty tense, too, if I was in their shoes, to be honest. When I found out that two of my closest buddies who I've been now sharing life with and doing life and doing ministry with them and doing ministry with Jesus kind of had to go grab their mother and then come before them and ask if they could be at the right and left in Jesus' kingdoms, I would have been probably pretty mad, too. And you can imagine the tension that was probably in that air in the moment. I mean, think about it. Has anybody here, you've ever had tension in your family before? Maybe you have a sibling that says something to mom or dad that you didn't agree with, and then tension just fills the air, right? Tension just fills you. are like, excuse me? How could you say? You think that's, what, like, you know, a fight happens, and then one person says, well, this is why it happened. And you're kind of listening, and then there's just tension. Everybody being there, you walk in the house, and you just feel like you can cut it with a knife. That's probably what it was in this moment sense of that competitiveness between everybody, maybe. And Jesus called them all together, and he taught them that incredible lesson that we just read. He said, again, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, that they take advantage of their authority that they have. He says, the guys do whatever they want because of their status. Not so with you. He's telling them, that's not how you're going to act. You want to be great? You want people to look up to you? He's telling them, then become a servant. That's what he's telling them, become a servant. You want to be great? Become a servant. You need to put people, others, above yourself. You need to get off the pedestal and stop thinking everything is about you and look to others. That's what it means to be great. And I love this lesson that Jesus teaches them and tells them what they needed to do. But the thing is about Jesus is Jesus always led by example. Jesus didn't just say words and not back it up. He always led by example. And then he says it in verse 28 again. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I'm going to be 
blunt, and I'm going to be honest with you. This scripture, this portion of scripture is very important to me because this portion of scripture helped me out so much at a point in my life. When I first got saved in, in August 2012, at that time, uh, I, was, I was finishing up college. I was working um, at a music and DVD store in the Ocean County Mall I was at for a few years. And then I finished school, and I was still um, at that job at the mall. And obviously now I wanted to get, find a full-time job. I was done with school. Um, I was trying to apply to stuff in my field at that time when I got my degree in. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then I ended up, I put an application for this one job, which I was not sure exactly what it was, but it was a full-time job. And it was for the, um, it was called NJID. It was um, the New Jersey Institute of Disabilities. And I put in that application. And I got that job. And I didn't know what it was. And it was a day program for adults with disabilities. And I got to tell you something. When I first, I didn't know what it was. And when I first doing it, it was tough. I'm just going to be honest with you. I never worked with anybody with a disability before. And it was extremely tough. And it was very, it was very difficult at first for me because I just wasn't used to it. And I remember I read this scripture. And man, when I read this scripture, my heart in that moment exploded for these people. Because I literally changed my mindset to, why am I doing this? Do I get to do this? And I get to serve them each and every day. If, if Jesus was here, he would be doing the same thing. He would be serving them if he had the opportunity to. And I was only there for a year and a half, but that year and a half I there was, that I was there was such a blessing because I could say a mind shift, and I guess it was a mind shift at first, but then it led to a heart shift. Because a mind shift, if it doesn't really get into our heart and affect us, it'd just be a way we think, and it could be dangerous, because then if we start thinking a different way, we'll act a different way. We need to actually let it get to the root of us and change us. And I would read that scripture and say, I get to serve them each and every day. And my whole perspective changed. I was actually able to, in the time I was there, enjoy it a lot more than it would have been a struggle if I didn't, if I didn't let this scripture change my heart. See, Jesus went to the cross, and he died. We know he died a bloody, he died a gruesome death on the cross for us, and it was one of the most selfless acts that there was. It was the most selfless act that there was in the entire world, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it, and he went, the only person that never sinned, he died on the cross for us. Jesus, in that moment, put everybody else's needs above his own because that's how much he loved us so we could have eternal life. That is what serving looks like. It's putting others above themselves. Jesus had all the power in the world. He was fully man. He was fully God. And he chose to die on the cross for us. Jesus said that we need to be a servant. We need to serve. And what does that look like? It's sacrificing ourselves. It's putting others before us. Giving up part of our lives for others. First and foremost, we want to make sure that we're serving our family, right? We want to make sure we're serving our family. Like, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first, well, no, the first year was great when you get married. You know, nothing really bad can happen. I don't know. First year is generally good. And then, you know, the second you got to know each other a little bit more. No. But um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why. And I've shared this. If you've been at Bayville and I would share this, my, my wife's there. And I was, you know, I'm just honest about our lives. It's a good time. So, um, <laughs> So I just would like, my wife is one of those people, 
like she's just different. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> Which is good. She's yeah. Like, you know, generally guys, the thing we you know, we want to show our, our wife or something special, we're gonna go get him flowers, right? The last time I bought my wife flowers and I brought them to her, and the first couple times I brought them, you know, first year of marriage, she's like, Thank you so much. Second year, she's like, thanks. And then, like, by the third time I bought her flowers, she literally said to me, why would you spend money on something to give to me that's going to die? And that's when I was like, she is different. She's like, you could have at least got me something to eat. I said, okay. See, my wife, something I, I learned with my wife, and we actually did the five love languages things. And if you haven't done that, it is cool, kind of cool. It tells you your love language. My wife's love language is acts of service. If I went home and did the dishes without her telling me anything to do them, that would mean way more to her than me getting her a hundred dozen roses. And I'm not going to lie, I hate to do dishes. <laughs> I had to learn in my marriage, and I'm being honest, because I think to myself, man, like I can go serve other people, but I need to first and foremost serve my wife. And if I know that me going out of my way and doing dishes without her asking, or putting the laundry in maybe without her asking me to do that, or trying to put my shoes in the right place where they're supposed to go, even though <laughs> there's more than one place to put your shoes. That's just my opinion. But if I do that and I serve her in that way, it's going to mean a lot to her. First, we need to make sure, are we serving our families? Are we serving our church family? Just going to be honest, are we serving our church family? Are we having that heart that I want to serve these people that come in these doors? I want to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to serve those new people walking in here that have an opportunity to hear the gospel maybe for the first time and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Are we serving even people at our jobs? If we have people above us, maybe you don't agree with them. Maybe they make you angry, whatever it may be. Are you serving them? Jesus didn't say only serve somebody if they're perfect, because none of us would serve any of us. Are we serving, trying to even serve people in our community? Again, are we serving in our, our church home? What are we doing? And, you know, I want to say something, too. Don't be discouraged, too, because even if you look for opportunities, I was sharing this story with Pastor Tom, um, if you look for opportunities to serve, because we have opportunities to serve each and every day. Maybe you do serve here already, and maybe that's on Sundays, or maybe it's on Wednesdays or Saturdays, whatever it may be. But we have chances to serve each and every day, again, in our house, in our jobs, in our communities. And don't be discouraged sometimes if it doesn't go the way that you think it's going to go. And I just want to point that out because maybe somebody here, you're going to go do something that doesn't go how you think it's supposed to go. I remember it was very shortly after I got saved. We, where I lived at the time, and I got saved, I was 22, about to be 23. And where I, where I lived at the time, um, there was this homeless man. And he was always at this specific corner. It was by a 7-Eleven that I would go to. I drove by every day. I would see him every day. And I'm going to be honest with you, literally, before I got saved, I wouldn't think anything of it. I would just see him there and being like, there he is again. He's always there. He's a pretty cool guy, too. He'd always just be like, wave and stuff. And I'd be like that. And I'm not going to even lie. Shortly after I got saved, it was like a heart change. And I remember when I saw him, and I, was, I remember I was uh, driving with my mom, and I saw him, and I said, Mom, I said, I'm going to go buy him a bunch of water. It was like, it was, it was like 100 degrees out. He said, I was like, Mom, I got so excited. And because my heart changed, I was like, I'm going to go buy this guy water, and I'm going to go give him water. She's like, that's a great idea. So I, I, I dropped my mom off. I went and bought water, and I was going so excited. Like, literally, I think I was saved two, to th two or three weeks, and I was just excited because before that, I mean, 
my spirit wasn't alive unto God. I didn't really care. I'm just going to be honest. Now it's I wanted to go do something. I was so excited. I bought water. I'm walking over. I park, and I'm walking over to him, and I think I had a big smile on my face because I was so excited, and I just wanted to help this guy out in any way that I could. And I said, sir, I said, I said it's like 100 degrees out. I said, I want to give you water. I got you this water. He looked at me, and he said, oh, thank you, but I'm good. I don't need any more water. And I looked behind him. There was like 50 bottles of water. He literally denied me. He wouldn't take my, he wouldn't take the water. I'm not, that's not even a joke. He went, so I turned around and I'm walking back now with the water into my car. And I'm not going to lie. At first it was just kind of a little discouraging. So I'm like, man, I'm like, I, you know, two to three weeks saved. I'm like, God, like, I'm just trying to do what I think I'm supposed to do. But anyway, I just said that because it just popped in my mind. Don't be discouraged too if you start stepping out in a way that you never have to serve others, and maybe it doesn't go the way. Maybe you start serving here at church, and you're, and you're a greeter or something, and you say hi to somebody, and they don't say hi back. Don't be discouraged. What you're doing is making an impact. And I want to point that out, and this has popped in my mind. I want to point that out because, see, wherever you're serving, and I'll use here as church as an example, if you're ushering, if you're guest services, security, greeting, worship team, whatever area you are, are helping out, you are making a difference, and you're planting seeds in people's life. When I first started in the youth ministry, and I share this now, whenever I get a chance uh, to talk to anybody new over there, I will tell each and every one of them the first time is, do not get discouraged because you never know what you're doing. When I first started helping out in the youth ministry, for the first two months, I would go up to kids, and they would literally not even say hi to me. I would say, how are you doing? And they would legit walk away, some of them. Because teenagers are just different. Teenagers, they, you need to build a trust. You need to build a rapport with them before they'll open up to you. They don't just, most of them, some do, depending on their personality, but most of them won't just open up to you if they don't know you. And some of those kids, almost all those kids, I can think specifically that did that, throughout the time I was the youth pastor, I actually became the closest to and got to pour so much into their lives. You never know what you're sowing, but you're making an impact. You're serving somebody, maybe even at your job, your boss, and maybe they're not saved, and you might go, well, this guy doesn't want to hear about Jesus, but he's seeing the actions of a servant of Christ in front of him, and he might not realize it in that moment, but one day he very well might, because you are planting seeds. While everybody else, while he knows that everybody else is scheming against him, and everybody else is plotting against him, and everybody else is talking behind his back, but he sees something different in you, and you're serving him. And one day that door might open and he's going to know, well, why is this person different than everybody else? You never know the impact that you're making. Whatever it is and whatever you feel, maybe God is calling you to sacrifice in your life. Take action on it. Take action on it. Believers, you know, as believers, the truth is, is and we are many things as believers. And we, and we hear ourselves say we're, we're a child of God. We're a son of God, which we are. 100% we are a child of God. But one thing we also are as believers is we are servants of Christ. We are servants of Christ. And that's who he tells us to be. And as those disciples were, were all wrangled up with each other about who was the greatest, Jesus surprised them with a call to become a servant of all. Two things I just want to say as I'm going to be wrapping up about serving, because it does do something in our life. And just two quick things is one is service produces spiritual growth in us. Service produces spiritual growth. God is continually transforming us, we, or we need to be letting him continually transform believers into the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
Jesus, God wants us to look more like Jesus, to be conforming to his son. Well, his son came to what? His son came to serve. Serving others is one tool the Lord uses to free us from things, to free us from selfishness, self-centeredness. It produces spiritual growth in our lives. And also, sometimes if you don't, serving actually helps you apply the word of God to your life, right? We can read about it and know about it, but we want to put it into action. Amen? And the second thing is service achieves God's purpose for our life. Service achieves God's purpose for our life. See, the Lord, he, it says in his word, he is a work for each of us to accomplish in our lifetime. Ephesians 2.10, it says for, for the, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2.10, I, I put down the wrong thing. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If we only ever take in and we never give out, we will miss much of what he has planned for us to do. Each and every one of us in this room, if you're a child of God, you have an extremely high calling upon your life. He has a plan and a purpose. But we're called to be servants first and foremost. That's what he has called us to do. And look for opportunities to serve someone in your daily life. It's going to be between you and God as you do some reflection. Maybe ask God when you leave tonight or before you leave tonight. Take some time to reflect in your life. God, do I have that heart of a servant? If I don't, what's blocking that? What do I need to get rid of to have that heart of a servant? God, what are areas I could start serving? And God, who are people that I could start serving? Ask yourself those questions. God will reveal it to you. Get before him and ask him those questions. Because our goal, guys, our goal is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And most importantly, too, as men and our household, our goal what we need to be doing, not our goal, it's what Jesus tells us to do. We need to be leading first and foremost by example. Amen. We need to be leading by example. I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this night. I thank you for your word, and I thank you. Jesus said he came not to, to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for us. Father, I thank you that we would have that heart attitude of servants. And Father, if there's something blocking that, I pray you would reveal it to us. And we don't need to feel shame about it. We don't need to feel guilty about it. That's not, no, Father, your goal is to conform us into the image of Christ. And we know it's all about obedience. So if there is something we get, need to get rid of, Father, and it's blocking us, I pray we would all just be obedient and let you begin to do that work and let you begin to remove that, Lord. So Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this night. I thank you for these men here, Lord. These mighty men, Father, I thank you. And you do have a purpose for all of our lives, and I pray that we would walk that purpose out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.